You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. <laughs> Now it's time to talk about Donald Trump with Tony Schwartz. He knows a lot about Trump. He wrote Trump's best-selling memoir, The Art of the Deal, in 1987. It spent 48 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list, 13 of them at number one. More than a million copies have been sold. Tony's also written other best-selling books, including The Way We're Working Isn't Working, He's CEO and founder of The Energy Project. That's a consulting firm that helps individuals and organizations solve intractable problems by widening their worldview. Now he's writing about his experience working as Trump's ghostwriter. His essay, I Wrote the Art of the Deal with Donald Trump, is featured in the new book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, edited by Bandy Lee. That book was number four on the New York Times bestseller list. It's been on the list now for four weeks. Tony Schwartz, welcome to the program. Thanks, John. How much time did you spend with Donald Trump when you were working on Art of the Deal? Well, I spent 18 months from start to finish. And during the majority of that time, I was essentially sitting in his office on an extension phone, listening to him talk to the vast range of people who he would over the course of the day. And then when he wasn't in the office, I was usually traveling with him wherever it happened to be that he was going. So I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours with Trump. And this was before Trump became a best-selling author, before he was a star on reality TV, long before he ran for president. How different was he in the mid-'80s compared to the man we see now? Well, until several months ago, I would have said not all that different, maybe until late in the campaign or shortly after he uh, assumed office, meaning that he was always a first and foremost, 100% self-absorbed, incapable of interest in other human beings and completely self-referential so that he viewed any event through the lens of its impact on him or whether he was the central player in it. Even 30 years ago, he had a f incredibly short attention span. Lying was almost second nature to him, and he did it as easily as most of us uh, you know, drink a glass of water. So all of those things have turned out to be very similar all throughout his life. And he himself has said, I'm pretty much the same person at 70 that I was at seven. And I, I believe that's true. Wow. Having said that, having said that, 
I think that he has moved to a darker place. He was non-ideological when I knew him. He contributed to candidates from both parties. He was basically a social liberal and otherwise had no politics, partly because he was fundamentally ignorant, didn't know much about anything because his attention span was so short that he never really could read. Today, I believe he actually has adopted a pretty hard right set of beliefs. I, I have reluctantly come to the conclusion that he believes what he says now and that the reason it's happened is because the base of people who still will love and adore him are on the far right. And that's what compels him the most. So I think he's drifted into that for more emotional or psychological reasons than for political or ideological reasons. In your essay in the book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, you say that his sense of self-worth is forever at risk and that his successes always seem ephemeral to him. But now he's president you know, tens of millions of people voted for him. He's the most powerful man in the world. Shouldn't he feel an immense sense of self-worth now? In some ways, it's a more precarious place to be as the most powerful person because everybody wants to knock you off that perch or it's easy if you have a somewhat paranoid character to assume that that's the case. And that is precisely what he assumes. And now I think there's some pretty significant evidence that actually uh, he could be knocked off that top of that hill. At the same time, what's really at the heart of this is the fact that he just never grew up with a sense that there was anything substantive and meaningful inside him to make him feel okay about himself and therefore came to depend or has come to depend all throughout his life on external validation. He's not that different from a lot of us who get very externally focused and uh, struggle with the issue of self-worth. It's just that his is so much more extreme. And can you explain why that is in the months that you spent with him? Did you get any insight into how he got to be this way? Well, I did. You know, I'm going to proffer a, you know, a psychological interpretation for what it's worth. And obviously I'm not trained as a psychologist. So this is really more from being a journalist and an observer and interested in human nature. But my, my feeling is that he had a very brutal childhood. And it's not my feeling, it's a fact. He had a very, very brutal father who was only interested in the toughness and success, external success that he had or that anybody around him had. And that's what he measured everything by. And I think to survive him, Trump felt he had to outdo him, and he had to be not only more successful, but he had to be tougher and rougher and all of those things. And I think Fred, his father, had no real inner life, and Trump himself has no inner life. And in the absence of that, you look for other ways to feel safe and secure, to feel valuable. Uh, we all do that because it's a human need. And out of that, what I would call deprivation of his childhood, and I'm not suggesting people should feel sorry for him, I'm just making an observation, the deprivation of his childhood by his father and the fact that his mother was essentially absent, and finally the fact that his older brother, in the face of this brutal father, 
became an alcoholic and died at a very early age. All of that was a message to Trump to always kind of see the world through the lens of win-lose. If you win, you're okay. If you lose, you're obliterated. And that's the worldview that has preoccupied him for 70 years. So everything he sees in life is a contest that he has to win. Now he won the presidency, but when you were working with him on Art of the Deal, his Atlantic City casinos were going broke, banks were refusing to bail him out. He wasn't a winner at that point. In fact, you might call him a loser. How did he deal with that? The same way he does now, uh, which is to offload blame to make others responsible for any setback, to reinvent the facts to fit his view of himself, to have habituated himself to the power of positive thinking. He is the epitome of the power of positive thinking in the sense that in the face of incontrovertible evidence that something is so and would in turn diminish him, he's capable of pretending or reinventing those facts so that he ends up portraying himself as a winner. Now, deep, deep down, but it's very deep. I think that's a reaction against the feeling that is persistent in him, which is that he's a loser. But his everyday experience of it is I can turn anything into a win. And just look at what's just happened recently with the indictment of three of the people who uh, worked in his campaign. And in spite of that, he is out there on every front making the case that actually it's really not him. It didn't happen to him. The people who are saying this can't be believed. He's got other people saying that uh, Mueller is prejudiced or not uh, fit to be doing the job that he is. So, you know, he attacks. That's how he that's how he protects himself. He attacks all the time. So if the Mueller investigations proceed the way it looks like they're going to, and more evidence will come out about the Trump campaign's uh, collusion, and more of Trump's associates will make deals to cooperate with the prosecutors, and maybe if Congress moved toward impeaching Trump, do you think at that point he might become more cautious, more conciliatory in a defensive mode? No. Not a chance in hell. It isn't within his control. You know, he operates most of the time, particularly when he's feeling under threat, and he is certainly feeling under threat right now, from a survival perspective. I have felt from the day Mueller was named special prosecutor that the end game here is that Trump will get indicted at some point or will have to make some kind of deal to resign in order to avoid being indicted. Now, it is conceivable that he could be indicted or that he could be threatened with indictment and still not resign because he continued to kind of believe in his grandiosity that he could never actually get convicted. But this is going to get much, much worse for him. And it's very much what we saw in Watergate, which is follow the money. I don't know that Trump will be will be brought down by what happened in Russia. And I don't pretend to know what happened, uh, you know, what, what to what extent he was or wasn't involved in the Russia situation. But I do know that there is a ton of 
deals that he made over 30 years that presumably Mueller is exploring, and he has access to all the financial documents, including his tax returns, which he either has or I I assume he has them already because it's not that hard in his role and his position to get them. So there's going to be this is going to be a really awful time for Trump. And the really bad thing, John, about that is if it's awful for Trump, he's not going to keep it to himself. He's going to inflict it on us. And that is very, very worrisome. What he does with North Korea, how he makes decisions in order to deflect attention away from the threat he's feeling, all of that is something every one of us should be concerned about. Tony Schwartz, he wrote Donald Trump's monster bestseller, The Art of the Deal, and he's a contributor to the new book, The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump. It's been on the bestseller list now for three weeks, starting at number four. Tony, thanks so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.